If you have your Bibles, you can open it to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing on our series. This is part three of As He Is, Being and Making Disciples. We started off with the understanding that it is our job to to follow after Jesus, to, to be like Jesus. And when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He told them, the greatest commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. That we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And we should love our neighbor as ourselves. This is the greatest commandment. And on it hinges all the law and the prophets. And we talked about being a disciple was to be a learner, to, to follow after Jesus' example, to do what Jesus did, to act as Jesus acted and treated the people. And we talked about that sphere of influence, that it was to occupy every aspect that he mentions here. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart. That would be the core of who we are, with our soul, the seat of our emotions, how we feel, with our minds, the way we think, with our strength, our actions, our ability to do things. That it was to encompass the totality of who we are. That we can't just love God on Sundays and live as we want the rest of the week. That it was something that was supposed to be a part of who we are. And to follow Jesus in this way, we saw that we needed the strength of the Holy Spirit. That he was calling us to a life that could not be lived naturally, but needed extra strength. Not Tylenol. It needed extra strength, Holy Spirit. We needed an input and a power and a boost, if you will, and this need for God's continual refreshing. We, we talked about how that if, if you are walking this life, there are going to be times when you're going to struggle, when you're going to feel like, God, I, I need help. And there's going to be more than one time that you're going to need to call out for God's help over and over and over again, that it is an ongoing process, just as we saw through the book of Acts, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost in chapter 2, but it happened again in chapter 4, and it happened again, and it happened again, that one of the marks of that early church was this dependency upon the Spirit of God to guide them and to empower them. And we need the same thing. It is a necessity in our lives. This morning I want to talk about one of the hindrances in our lives. One of the things that that causes us to stumble. And Jesus talks about it in this great commission when he says, Hear, O Lord, or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. What this was, especially in the early part of the nation's history, was a declaration against all the religions that were surrounding them. That there is only one God. There was every other culture had this monotheistic rule. They they believed in many gods. 
They believed in the God of fertility, both of human and for the land. They believed in a God for the rain. In Egypt, they had a God for just about everything under the sun. In fact, they even had one for the sun. You know, they had, they had a God to cover just about everything. And here comes this small nation working its way through these giant countries all around them. And they're saying, there is only one God. And, and it was unique in that time. And it was very important that they understand that they didn't worship any other God or any other thing because that was idolatry. And so they weren't, to wor- they weren't supposed to worship the statue made in the image of the sun god or made in any other image. You're not supposed to worship. There's only one God. And you don't worship an image. You worship him. And the point was to to keep their minds, their attentions, their affections on this relationship between them and God and not to let anything else come in between that. You see, because what idolatry is, is when something else takes that place of our devotion other than God. And, of course, at that time it was obvious the other idols, the other gods that they worshipped. Even at Jesus' time, there were many gods. Caesar was thought to be a god himself. But then Jesus goes on to, to give a little more clarity on what he means and why this is so important. That brings us to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to start at verse 19. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and still, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a fine line, but many times... It's easy for us to, to direct our lives to things rather than God. And, and the key word in these verses here is the word treasure, the thing that we value. Do not place your value, your affection on the things of this earth, but rather the things that are in heaven. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Keep that focus. Keep that relationship. And now, at Jesus' time, we have the introduction of a lot of things that are pulling their attention. And we have those same things today. I think the biggest idol that potentially can be there in our lives is consumerism. We consume. We consume and we consume and we consume. We are the most affluent nation in history. The way we live is more, has more luxuries than many kings have lived in the past. We have running water, we have soft beds, we have roofs over our heads, we have windows, we have things that they didn't have or couldn't imagine. We enjoy so much luxury, so much affluence, and yet we are one of the most depressed people 
that live? How can we have so much and be so miserable? And you guys are aware of this. You're not ignorant to these things. You know how commercials tell you what you lack. Your teeth aren't white enough. Your hair's not soft enough. Your makeup doesn't last all day, nor does your deodorant. You need something else. You need the new and improved to get your clothes whiter, brighter. And so we have status based on things. What kind of car do you drive? It's funny, when I, I do some of my dog training lessons, a lot of them are in Orange County, and I'll, I'll pull into this neighborhood in my Toyota pickup, and people start looking at me, and I'm like, what, what? It's trip. It's in good shape. And then you're aware of all the Lexuses, all the BMWs, all the Mercedes, all the Jaguars, the Hummers, the Land Rovers. And, you know, I've got to start, oh, man, start drooling, you know. Oh, man, look at that car. And, you know, that's, I don't have a car like that. I don't live in a house like this. And then you go to the mall, and what's everyone wearing? They have to have the designer jeans and the purses. Oh, don't get me started on purses. I don't have one, but don't get me started on one. <laughs> you know, coach is nothing now. It's, it's just a coach. Just a coach costs $400. No, it's got to be Yves Saint Laurent. And status is based on what we have. And what we desire and what we want is to be accepted. And so our focus now becomes on things. And what happens is there is this idea we have, if I can get enough things, then I will have this satisfaction. We'll find happiness in the product. We'll find this contentment in the shoes, the electronic gadgets, the food. And it's an alternate to what heaven was supposed to be. And it's this promise to fulfill our longings if you get the stuff. If I get the stuff, I'll be happy. If I get the stuff, I'll be satisfied. And the things that heaven was supposed to occupy, the things above, the things that we are to recognize that our affections belong there, now are placed here. And we're looking at things to satisfy the longing of our lives instead of God. And it happens subtly, and it's all a matter of where you put your treasure. You see, there's nothing wrong with the things. They're just things. But there's something wrong if they are treasured. And it's easy for us in our society to live our lives for things and not for God. Jesus goes on. Verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. 
If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? You see, how we see things is really important. How we perceive this area of the things above and the things of this earth are really vital. And if you are blinded to think that what you need is more stuff, how great is the darkness in your life? You're living an idolatrous life. You're living a life that is not in line with God, and it's, it's a problem. John told us about this in 1 John chapter 2, and he said, don't love the world or the things in the world. For all that's in the world, the, the lust, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life, are not from God, but from this world. And the world and all the things you desire will pass away. But the one who does the will of God, he's going to live forever. The treasure in heaven. Paul said the same thing in Colossians chapter 3 when he said, set your mind on the things of heaven and not on the things of earth. Have the right focus. Have the right, have the eternal perspective. Because if we don't have the eternal perspective, this is all we got. And if this is all we got, we are not living or representing Jesus. Because Jesus believed that there was more. Jesus lived as if there was more. Do we? Or are our lives stifled by this consuming mentality that occupies us, that drives us. We work to get the stuff. We forsake the things that are important because of the things that we want. We sacrifice for what reasons? And what God wants us to recognize is this life that is above this treasure that is in heaven, the things that remain are to be a part of what we think and a part of what we do and a part of how we live. That we are to use this mindset and be loyal to the things that matter. It's about being loyal to God. And when the loyalty becomes divided because of entertainment or self-gratification, then we're serving another master. Which is what he goes on to tell us in verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I was asking myself, do, do I serve money? I know that I need money. I, I, if I want to pay the bills, if I want to buy food, I, I need money. But do I serve money? Do I work because I want the stuff? Is that the driving force? It's amazing how many people I talk to when I am out working and doing uh, some of the training and young people who are successful, even in this economy. And it's amazing how you can see this mindset of, I'm working to get. 
I've got the boat. I'm going to have a vacation home. I want to get this. We want to do this. And the mindset is so much on the stuff. I mean, I'm just coming in there for a few hours and I see it. Is it seen on our lives? Are we serving two masters? And here's the issue, especially with money, because money is, is a touchy thing, especially when you come to a place of worship. There's a bad reputation, and, and rightly so. You know, how many preachers have said that you shouldn't serve money and therefore give your money to us, you know, uh, so that we can have money? The whole idea is you can either use money for the things that God would have for you or money will use you. You can use the things that you have for the purposes that God has, whatever those might be, or you will find yourself living just for those things. Once you buy that car, you're stuck with that payment. Once you buy that house, you're stuck with that payment. Once you use that credit card, you're stuck with that payment. And pretty soon you're, you're serving money. You're working to pay for the clothes, pay for the things. And when an opportunity comes to help someone or an event or to go, say, to Haiti or to go down to Mexico to take that time off, I can't afford it. Why not? Well, your priorities have been focused on these things. I'm not going to tell you what your priorities are. This is Jesus' warning to us. And it's something that we need to recognize that if we are going to be disciples, that we need to be able to not be distracted, not have our affections anywhere else. To be able to be focused on him. Because you can tell what a person believes by how they spend their money. You can tell what's important to them by how we spend our money. If we're spending a lot of money on entertainment, then that's a big thing for us. If you're spending a lot of money on clothes, then that's a big thing. Spending a lot of money on food, that's a big thing. Spending a lot of money on coffee, let's go on. Uh, <laughs> We do have to see what we spend our money on. He goes on, and he tells us in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they who are... Who of you, by worrying, can add one single hour to his life? Now, this is beautiful. I mean, this is so poetic. This is just so wonderfully said. But I do worry about my life. Just being honest. Anyone else here worry? Thank you for you honest folks. We worry. How am I going to take care of this? How am I going to be? And Jesus comes in with this saying, and he just says, don't worry about it. And he gives this profound illustration that causes us to be introspective and think, 
God does take care of creation around us. Could it be that God will actually take care of me? Could it really be that I can have faith in God more than faith in my job? Could it really be that the God who created the heavens and earth and feeds these birds will actually take care of me? And you see, what he's calling us to is a life of faith, a life of dependency, a life of reality that God is actually who he is. And we can set our affections on him. We can put our minds on him because he will take care of the things that we need. He goes on and he he gets personal. He talks about clothes. Verse 28, and why do you worry about your clothes? Husbands, you can underline this. Won't do you any good, but you can underline it. (laughs) See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He comes to this conclusion. Don't worry about these things. And when he's talking about clothes, they're talking about just the basic needs. He's not talking about, I must get the, you know, that designer or whatever. He's talking about, you're worrying about if you're going to have anything to wear, period. You know, there are places where that's the case. He says, don't. God will take care of it. The pagans worry about these things. Who are the pagans? Those who are outside worshiping all these other gods. Those who are all around you who are worshiping other things other than the one God. Those who don't have a faith in God, that's where their affection goes. But our affection, our trust, is to go to God. And that's why he continues in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, what things? The food, the clothing, the things that you need will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Amen. A life of faith. Have you ever thought that a promotion might actually involve less money? Have you ever thought that God might lead you someplace that is more difficult. You know, so many times I hear, and in the Christian community, especially with people who are uh, involved in some leadership role, whenever God leads them, it always comes with more money. Oh, God led me. How do you know? There's more money. Oh, God blessed. How do you know? There was more money. Do you ever think that maybe God would lead you to to sacrifice 
your position to do something that he has put in your heart to do. And it wouldn't come with a promotion. And Karina and I were talking the other day. We were kind of going over just our finances and things. And I said, wow, you know, just kind of saying some statements. You know, I'm making $15,000 less than I did three years ago. And it's like, yeah, your heart kind of sinks. You go, wow, and I was making, I'm making like 30000 less than I did 10 years ago. And then I'm starting to get depressed. <laughs> it's like, wait a second, I'm going backwards here, you know. This, this, this isn't a good thing. I'm not a spring chicken anymore. What, what's going on? But I can honestly say that I am where I want to be right now more than I was 10 years ago. And, and I'm not saying this to say, oh, look at me, how, how spiritual I am because I was freaking out. Um, but God did open my eyes to the fact that you can have the things, the money, and not be doing what I've called you to do. And if you are focused on those things, you will base where you are on the wrong things. Does that make sense? God's wanting you to step out and to help maybe a group of people or to involve yourself in a ministry, but it's going to be a cut and pay. It's going to move your family to a place that's difficult. You know, there's that missionary family that's down in Vizcaino, the middle of nowhere. Why would anyone want to move to Vizcaino? It's desert. Nothing there, no Starbucks, no Macy's. There's nothing in Vizcaino. There's a little shopping center, not even a shopping center, a couple of stores, impoverished area. God cares. God wants someone down there. And to think that there is someone who is desiring to be in Vizcaino just opens my mind to so many possibilities in my own life. To see Tacho and Lourdes, the, the missionary team that's down there, <clears throat> Gary and Carrie who are down there, who have given up the lives up here in the States and have moved down there to serve the people that are there in that region and are making a difference and an impact on those people and love it and are filled with life, and are just enjoying the benefits of life. You see, you can have all the things you want and be miserable because you're not doing what you were created to do. And here's something that challenged us. If you could have whatever your dreams were, if they could be realized, whatever your dreams were, if you could make them a reality, and think, what are the dreams that I have for my life? Would the world be a better place or just your circumstances? You see, because part of this discipleship was to love the one God and to love others as ourselves. And if your dreams are just about you, that's a good indication that you are pretty self-focused. 
But if your dreams are, you know, I could benefit this community or I would like to see these people reached, I would like to have an influence on this, I would like these people to know that God loves them. I'd like to provide shoes for these people. I'd like to provide water or shelter for these people. I'd like to see their peace in this region. I would like to see these children have parents. I would like to... And then the heart of God starts overflowing you and, and you start realizing that there is a dream that God has for this world and we are supposed to be a part of it. But our dreams are for ourselves and for the house and for the car and for the stuff that doesn't last. And we're worried about the things and we lose that vision. And so if our eyes are good, then everything is good because we're seeing right. We're seeing God's plan for our lives. We're following his steps. We're doing what he has called us to do and walking in the ways that he has asked us to walk in. We are being like Jesus. But if our eyes are dark, how great is that darkness where your dreams are just about you? How great is that darkness? 50% of Americans claim to believe in Jesus. What would happen if there were 150 million people who profoundly loved Jesus and were his disciples. What difference would that be in the world if there were 150 million people like those 12 who turned the world upside down, just a handful? What would happen if this room had faith in God to take care of their needs and had a desire to know what God wants and by the power of His Spirit was able to walk in that way, what difference could we make in the lives of the people around us? To be a disciple means to have the affection on God first and foremost. And for that affection to affect those around us, to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are each responsible. In, in this position of discipleship, there, there has been a, a tragedy, really, in the church. This idea of Ordination has, I believe, been a stumbling block. Because now what we have are the people who are ordained. That means they're chosen to do a work. And then you have the others. I read about this one church where everyone walked in on Sunday morning and they each had a white piece of paper. You know, it's kind of one of these things. Everyone got this piece of paper with a little clip on it. And everyone's wondering, okay, what's going on? What's this piece of paper for? And he goes, okay, now everyone, take this piece of paper. I want you to put it around your necks and clip it. I ordain all of you this morning. You are now ordained and commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, that's our job. That's not the ordained job. 
And we have to recognize this position within our own lives. I, I've been having a, a great dialogue and friendship with uh, a man named Ralph Neighbor. He is one of the pastors at Mosaic down in Chino. And he has opened up just so many opportunities, not only for me, but for us at Genesis, the Highlander that the guys went to, uh, some conferences that I've been able to go to, and other opportunities I've called him and I said, hey, Ralph, I've got someone who's in this situation. Um, he's given me recommendation and help. And I remember texting him. I think I was texting him. I go, Ralph, thank you so much. You've been such a help to me and to Genesis. And I remember his response was, I love the kingdom. And it was this epiphany. Whatever I can do for the kingdom, I love it. I love the kingdom. See, I don't love my kingdom. I love the kingdom, and we are all a part of it, or are supposed to be. And is that our desire? Is that our affection? Do we love the kingdom? Do we care for those things? You see, the church doesn't have a social strategy. The church is the social strategy. We make the difference. We don't plan, organize the difference. You are the difference. In China, the underground church in China that has grown to over 6 million in a closed and communist nation one of the greatest revivals the world has ever known that's pretty much quiet in our ears because of the media not focusing on those things. But there's this motto that the church has, and it says, every believer is a church planter, and every church is a planting church. Every believer is a church planter. Talk about challenges. Okay, you guys, we got 80 church planters here. Who are you talking about, buddy? You ain't talking about me. You see, but the idea is that each of us have been given, have been entrusted with this incredible news. Each of us have access to this storehouse of incredible power. And each of us are loved and cared for by this love. Incredible God. And he's asked us to go and make disciples. And you see, if we are going to bring freedom and liberty to the people around us, then we need to first be set free. In Luke 4.18, Jesus quotes from Isaiah. says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to open the eyes of the blind, to set free the captive, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That was his purpose. That was, that's our purpose. Because as he is, so are we to be in this world. But how can we set people free if we are in bondage to things and if we neglect our responsibility? I mean, so many things come to my mind. How many people go to church to be fed? 
Think about that picture. Our boys, the twins, when they were little, they didn't like to go to sleep. That never changed, but when they were small, they knew that if they had a bottle, they would fall asleep. But they needed the bottle to go to sleep. They needed to get something in their stomach that would hold them through their night. And so Corrine and I would have to, and they were like one and a half years old, not even, I guess. They're probably like one year old. And we would have to wrestle them. We would have to get their head and keep it, because they'd be going like this, and they'd be flailing, and we'd have to wrap their arms, and we'd have to get that bottle, and we'd have to put the bottle, and they'd be, and then finally that bottle would get in their mouth, and then they'd settle down. And then they'd be like, oh man, you know? And so when I have the idea of someone having to be fed, that's the picture in my mind. But you see, I don't go home and say, okay, Crane, feed me. I'm thirsty now too. I need to eat. You don't go to church to get fed. You are the church. We come here to strengthen one another, to equip one another. Paul told the Corinthians that when you gather together, each of you should have a song. Each of you should have a psalm. Each of you should have a word of encouragement. You should be here to give to others, and we here collectively work and move forward in the things that we want to do. And you see, we, we've lost this idea, and so now we, we are spiritual smorgasbords. You know, oh, I like this church. The music is wonderful. Oh, I like this church. Oh, man, they're so deep in their theology. I love, oh, I like this church because it's the spirit really moves there. And we go and we sample and we do these things and we taste these. Oh, I really get fed here. You don't get fed. You are the church. You can eat yourself. You've got the scripture. You've got the spirit. You know what to do. Eat. And live. And do so that you can be empowered to be who God has called you to be. God has given each of us gifts, talents to be used. We are all called to be disciples. Every one of us has that position. We all make up the body of Christ. And this has been a convicting time for me. Because I I feel that I have failed and neglected areas in this ministry. I feel like there is areas in Genesis where we, we've become stagnant. And it's my responsibility that that doesn't happen, and it has happened. And so what I'm desiring to do, and it's all happened with the idea of getting this office and the possibility there and going through this series on what it means to be a disciple and how to make disciples, I, I want to develop a way to, to get people to understand their giftings to just help us move forward into this area. If I have been called to be a disciple, then how how is that supposed to look out? And it's our desire to help in that endeavor. And so I've got some things in mind that I want to start this servant staff that basically has a place and that they can develop and use their gifts and so that you can become an active part of this and not just come and listen to me. 
I really don't want that to be us. I don't want this to be every Sunday you come listen to me. He was funny this week. He was sad last week. He was boring both weeks. You know, I was, I don't want this to be you getting fed. I hope that you're encouraged. I hope you get things out of this. I hope we all do. But what I hope is that you activate this relationship you have with God. Because he speaks to you. He ministers to you. He leads you. He empowers you. And he so much loves you. And this is a privilege to walk and live in this relationship. So much so that it is worth everything in the world. What does it profit if a man gains everything in the world but loses his soul? You can be in the middle of a desert and be satisfied because you have the right relationship with God or you can have everything and be miserable. Have to worship God. So I want to start a, a servant staff a volunteer staff. And, and I want to make some things available to you that will help you to be able to discern what your gifts are and, and steer you. You know, some of you people are, are really meticulous. You're, you're good with numbers. You know, you like to be organized. And, you know, if that's your calling and your makeup, then let's find a place where that can be useful. You know, maybe you can help us organize some things because you're good at organizing. Some of you people are out there. <laughs> A lot of you people are out there. I know you. Who are you kidding? You know, but with that, there comes creativity. With that, there's ideas floating in your head that you would like to see and you've got this mind and you're artistic and maybe you can be used in, in developing the videos and, and things that we want to do in the future. I mean... I don't know, but I'd like to find out and help you find out what those things are. I'd like to be able to, to step you guys in that right direction so that this volunteer staff can grow. I mean, we already have people who are taking that position. We have people who are serving with the children, the sound. They're already working in that kind of vein of what I'm calling a volunteer staff, but it needs to develop. It needs to develop. We need to develop. And this morning wasn't meant to tell you that you're not doing enough, but it probably has happened because it did to me. I wasn't here to try and put a guilt trip on you, but I was trying to help us see the snares that are around us if we're not careful. And I pray that we would be able to move forward in being disciples being free of the burdens of this world and filled with the freedom that comes only in Christ so that we could set people free. Because unless you're free, how can you show someone that freedom? And some of us just need to get rid of some baggage. And you know what? God wants to take it. And he's patient and he's long-suffering. And just like we talked about last week, there is this need to come to him over and over and over. There is a dependency I have on God more than ever before. It's greater than it's ever been in my life. I need him now more than ever. 
I depend upon him now more than ever. And it's getting more and more so. And you know what? I love it. I love it. Sometimes it's hard. But I love it. And God is calling us to be this. I had a friend went through some hard times. He had a kidney transplant when he's in his 20s, had a heart attack in his 20s. He was involved with a lot of drugs and just some bad stuff. He's a pretty hardcore guy. And I've been kind of a confidant to him. He calls me and has called me over all the years. He, had, he got married, had two kids. His wife left him, partially because of just how he was living. And he's been on death's door at, at least three times that I know. I've gone to see him in the hospital where they didn't think he was going to make it. You know, he had some kind of infection or something, and with his body condition, his kidneys failing him again. And, and he, he's just constantly in this place of difficulty. And here's this guy, and he's hardcore, and he's kind of, you know, man, I just got... And he has, when he called me, the last few times that I've talked to him, he goes, you know, Sam, I may not do things like other people do, but I know God has a plan for my life. And I know that I haven't lived how I should live, but I know that God still cares about me and wants me to live. And so I've been writing some poetry. And I go, really? You know, okay, that's cool. And he started reading me some of his poetry. Now, you got to picture this, you know, in my mind. I go, okay, dude, yeah, I'm trying to picture this dude reading poetry. But God has touched him and is doing something in his life. And he said, he read this poem to me. And he says, the life I didn't choose hurts like a brand new pair of shoes. And he goes on and he told me, you know, I knew what God wanted me to do, but I didn't do it. And I had all these problems because of it. But you know what? To change who I am is a difficult thing because I've been this for so long. I'm so used to doing this stuff. And to see the life that I didn't choose, it's like it hurts like a new pair of shoes. And he goes on and he says, but as sure as the sky is blue, I will wear that new pair of shoes. And he's scrapping to stay alive, but he knows this is what he needs to do. And you guys, that might be where we're at. It may hurt to make a change, but you got to put on these new shoes. They're incredible. You need to make the change and allow God to be God in your life. Allow him to do what only he can do. I can't do it. No person around you can do it. You need to fall on your knees. You cry out to God. Well, then what do I do? Then you do it some more. Allow him to be the true God in your life. Allow him to be your, your focus, your goal, your treasure, so that your eyes are clear and you see clearly. We put on these new shoes and follow in his steps and be his disciples. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would help us, Lord, to see, first of all, Lord, the areas of our lives that are, are 
are crowded by things. Father, to recognize that maybe our affection, our treasure, is in the wrong place. Maybe we're anxious about things because we're too worried about what other people's status are, is, and what ours is, and we're spinning our wheels trying to get more. And we get the rush of going out and, and shopping and buying then we have the remorse that it didn't satisfy. Maybe our eyes are just not seeing clearly. And there's darkness in the way we think. We've lost focus, God. Clear our minds. Set us free from materialism. Lord, may we see promotion as being a step towards you and not a step into a different economic class. May we see promotion as a relationship with you that is healthy and holy. And may we trust you for our financial needs. God, I know a lot of us are struggling financially. And it wears on us, God. But you've taken care of the birds. You've taken care of the flowers. You will take care of us. Lord, if we lose the house, it's just a house. But if we lose you, we lose everything. If we lose the car, it's just a car. But if we lose you, how great is that loss? Nothing is worth losing you. And Lord, give us strength to follow in your steps, to live after you, to walk as you walked, to be devoted to you. May we recognize that you have called us personally. May we not seek to be fed, but may we feed ourselves and may we seek to give to others. Father, may our dreams be dreams that you have that would change the world. May our focus of the future be your desire and not merely our own satisfaction. God, open our vision. Set free our hearts. And as 12 people change the world, Lord, we want to change our community. We want to change our families. We want to change our children. We want to change our schools. We want to change those who are hurting, those who are dependent on drugs and alcohol. We want to change those who have no hope. We want to change those who are lost and don't know their right hand from their left. We want to change the people in our lives, God, and help them to see you. We want them to be set free. Set us free, we pray. Amen.